Good morning. What a full time of worship we've had, hasn't it been? It's always good to get three pre-sermons where we get to hear the Lord's grace uh, and how he has lavished his grace upon us. And we get to hear him do that in others and be reminded of how he's done it in our lives. This morning we are in the book of Romans, continuing our journey through this mammoth of a book. Um, but we're in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, and then we'll, we'll kind of breach into chapter 10 all the way down to verse 4. If you're new with us, Romans is in the uh, New Testament, and it's right after the Gospels and Acts. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, and I invite you to follow along with me as I begin reading. Hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. How should we think about the lost? How should we wrestle. I trust that we are wrestling. How do we come to where Paul says here, my heart's desire, my, my prayer to God for them is they might be saved. How do we wrestle with the fact that people do not believe? And it would be maybe tempting as we've journeyed through Romans 9 conclude, well, the reason people are lost is because God doesn't want to save them, or because, because God hasn't chosen them. But when we see here, Paul says, what should we say then? That's not what he says. He turns his attention not to the reason that Israel doesn't believe to, well, that's God's fault. No, he says it's Israel's. He's guiding us here in these verses to and how we should respond to what God is doing, even in light of his purposes of election. How should we respond? And the reason, Paul is going to say, that people are not saved, and in this case, the reason most of Israel is not saved is because they have stumbled upon the rock of offense. They have stumbled over a stumbling stone. They've rejected the gospel. They have rejected Christ, and that is why they're not saved. They do not believe. 
And it's on that basis that God, that Paul begins to pray and beg God to save them, that they might believe. On our time in Romans 9, this focused primarily on God's sovereignty and salvation, particularly the doctrine of election. What we see here is that that doctrine does not nullify human responsibility. And we're going to learn here that, that people do not accept God's offer of salvation because they're offended by the gospel of grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. That this good news is offensive to the human heart. It's offensive to the, to the, to the prideful human heart that says, I don't, I don't need you. I got this. I can, I can work my way. I can be good enough. Or I can figure this out. Or my pursuit of truth is all that I, I need. But the gospel is simple. Trust Christ. And as Pastor Joshua read from that, that uh, passage in Matthew 21, what shocking words that would have been to the, to the religious elite and, and, and the Jews of his day. He says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before you. What? How could that be? They, they don't do what we do. They don't even run the race. They're running the wrong way, Jesus. You must be insane. What they did not realize is what Paul is going to expound for us in this passage. See, the gospel, it is offensive and it shouldn't be offensive, by the way, because we are offensive. We should never be the stumbling block. We should never be the reason people don't believe. It is the message. It's the message that Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. It's whoever would lose his own life will, or whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his, his life for my sake in the gospel, you'll find it. Gospels full of these paradoxes. Man thinks it's this way, God says it's that way. And that's exactly what happened for Israel. They, they assumed wrongly, and therefore they stumbled over the rock of offense. Maybe you've seen those, uh, those funny videos of people so enamored with their, their smartphones, and they're, so, they're looking and, and they're walking through a mall, and they stumble over the stones and they flip into the water fountain. Maybe, maybe that was one of you. I, I don't know. <laughs> but that's kind of what Paul is saying. Israel is so fixated in their pursuit of righteousness. Works. They miss the whole picture. They miss it. They stumble over this stone. The stone, which is the good news, is also, has now turned into judgment for them. So the truths of this passage, they're important. They're important for us because, so we're going to look, Israel's unbelief is actually conserved as a picture for why people do not believe in general. Israel is just kind of a microcosm of humanity. We are like them. We see ourselves in them. And that's because Israel's in Adam and while we all are in Adam. And so when we look at Israel's unbelief and this, this problem that, that Paul is addressing, the good news that was for the nation of Israel has by and large been rejected. 
And the strange thing is, tax collectors and prostitutes and Gentile pagans are believing. How does that square with God's purposes? Well, it's my prayer this morning that as we look at Israel's unbelief here in this text, that number one, we'd, we'd share Paul's burden for the lost. And, but also that we would cling even tighter to Christ as the rock of our salvation. My prayer is if you're here today and you do not know Christ, that you would not stumble over these words, you would not trip over the gospel of grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. You would not be offended by that gospel, but you would find rest in that gospel. And that we as his people would continue to rest. Our text this morning presents three reasons why people are lost, if you want to kind of summarize it. And I've got it up on the screen, my, my points. were three Sundays in a row. We've got points up on the screen. So uh, I, I can learn new tricks. So uh, three reasons people are lost. Lost lack knowledge. Lost lack righteousness. And the lost lack faith. Let's consider the first reason people are lost. Paul explicitly explains why Israel is not saved in in chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. He says, for I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God. Look at this. But not according to knowledge. They're zealous in their religion. They're, they're, They're doing this with all their heart, mind, and strength. But it's not according to knowledge. For being ignorant they are of the righteousness of God. Israel's unbelief at one level is due to their ignorance. On what way are they ignorant? I think there's, there's probably several components here. We can't mine them all this morning, but I, I want to draw out maybe a couple of them to help us think about this. Um, they were ignorant, Paul says, of the righteousness of God. And certainly, at one level, they're ignorant of God's holiness. They're ignorant of God's character. They had not learned what the prophet Isaiah had learned when he saw the Lord sit upon the throne and he saw the train of his robe fill the temple and he heard the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah, when he experienced this appearance, is gospel of John tells us of a pre-incarnate Christ that he saw the holiness of the Lord and he said woe is me in other words I'm in trouble he says I am a man of unclean lips and and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips in other words before this moment I thought I was fine I thought we were, we were doing okay. Yeah, there's some spotty people out there, but by and large, we got this thing together. No, not when I understand God's righteousness. I don't think that. We heard it even in the testimonies. I think every single one. I used to think this, and then I, I knew the gospel, and I saw myself as a wretched sinner saved by grace. That's how our eyes are open, but, but the lost, they don't, they don't understand that. They don't understand God's righteousness. And because they don't understand God's righteousness, they don't understand their lack of it. They don't understand their own sin. Or they look at it a different way. Well, I'm sure God will, be, will forgive me. 
Maybe you've heard that. You've, you've shared the gospel with someone and said, I don't need Christ. I don't think that's, you know, what about all these other people who don't believe? God, if God is so loving, he'll just forgive me. What, what are they professing when they say that? They're ignorance of the righteousness of God. They don't quite understand it. But there's another level to Israel's ignorance of God's righteousness. They do not see his righteousness in the saving act of the cross of Christ. Remember, all the way back in the book of Romans, if you've been with us on the journey, the whole point of the book of Romans is summarized in, in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God is salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first, and then the Jew, Greek. For in it, what? The righteousness of God is revealed. But how is it revealed? It's revealed by faith. And these, they look at the cross, and no doubt the Jews of Paul's day, that they knew what Christians were claiming about Jesus. It's a crucified and risen Savior, but all they saw was a crucified blasphemer. That he was no better than the common thief. So they looked at the same data that we talk about here, and they say that's nonsense. That's not proof that he's the Savior. That's the proof that he's the fraud. They did not see God's righteous act of deliverance for them in the cross. And this is where many people are in America, aren't they? Oh, they, they know the facts. We'll, we'll celebrate Easter. And, uh, and I hope we can kind of capitalize on some of that this, this year. And every year, there, there's a sense in which people, maybe at a very superficial level, know, yeah, Jesus, Easter eggs. They, 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 you know, they, 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 they associate the two. Many people do, at least. They, they know of a cross. They know of resurrection, but they don't know it. They don't know what it means. Think about my own life, and, and again, thinking of, of the testimonies, I think of Danny's in particular. I, I professed Christ as a young child, I was baptized, and I want everybody to clap for me. And probably could have said, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Joey said the same thing. I was thinking about my story. Mine wasn't about everybody clapping. I just wanted to partake in the Lord's Supper. I wanted the little cup, and I wanted the little chiclet um, bread. And my parents said, you got to be baptized first. Okay, I'll solve that problem. And growing up in my years, I, you know, if someone said, are you a Christian? I'd say yes. And, you know, what about Jesus? What did he do? And I would say, oh, he died on the cross. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yeah. But I really didn't understand what that meant for me. I didn't understand the significance of it, even though I had somewhat of a positive view towards it. I was ignorant of the righteousness of God and the cross. And so that is what is happening all over our, our kind of gospel culture or Christianity culture America. It's less and less becoming the case, but still lingers. Yeah, I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but they don't know what it means. Yeah, he died for sins, but they don't understand he died for your sins. He died so that you would no longer live for yourself, but you would live for him. 
they don't realize that Christ's death on the cross was atoning. Is what satisfied the wrath of God for everyone who believes. They, they don't realize that on the cross, the great enemies of, our, of, of God's image bearers, our great enemies of Satan's sin of death, were defeated. They don't realize that. And so like Israel, people pursue salvation or whatever their equivalent as if it were based on works. See that in verse 32? Why? Why do they do what they do? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Because of their lack of knowledge, they thought salvation's this way. Salvation's this way. If we can do enough good works, we will achieve, we will attain righteousness. And does this mean that we don't have any place for works as in the Christian life? No. But according to knowledge, we plug them in in the right category. Our works flow out of a response of gratitude for what Christ has done. But it is not the basis and the means by which we become acceptable to Christ. If you flip those things, if you, if you, if you assume that your right standing before God is based on works, you're in the same spot that Israel is in. And we are praying that you would be saved. Do you see the connection? And so this lack of knowledge naturally flows into their lack of righteousness, as we're going to see. Look in verse 31. And just so you know, I, typically I move from 30 all the way to 4, but this week I just couldn't fit it right. So we are kind of jumping all over in this passage thematically. So sorry for those of you who follow the, the outline a little bit, okay? But we're jumping to verse 31 now. We're going backwards in a sense. And in verse 31, look at what he says. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. In other words, and he's using the language of a race. They're running a race, and they think at the end of the line that righteousness, salvation is at the end. And, and the race they called was Torah. It was law. Keep the law, you'll be righteous. Paul says they didn't succeed. They didn't win the prize. He says the same thing in chapter 10, verse 3. What, what, is the, what were they doing? Well, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. Do you see that? They reject the gospel because they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. I don't, I don't need the righteousness that you're talking about, Christian. I'm establishing my own. I'm running this race for myself. And so they do not submit to God's righteousness. And so Israel's lack of knowledge of God's righteousness resulted in Israel running the wrong direction. They're in the wrong race. And that's, as I've already kind of mentioned, the, the language of, of pursue in verse 30 and attain that he, he uses in verse 30 through 32. We're pursuing something. We're, we're running with a purpose. We're running to win the prize. And, and Israel thinks they're running 
and they're going to attain this prize, but Paul says they don't. They thought they could do it by running the works race. And so in their case, they've been very zealous. They've been training. They are, they are sweating. They are pushing themselves to the limit. And as Paul says in verse 32, they do not believe, and so they are going to be put to shame. They think at the end of the race it's going to be victory, but it will be shame. It's not going to be what they thought. It's interesting that Paul talks about their zealousness, verse 2. They have a zeal for God. They're, there's a positive. And sometimes people look at others and say, you know, they're very sincere in their religion. They're, they're very sincere in their pursuit of righteousness. They're, it's a very sincere Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu or, or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. Pick your, your category. Or that's a sincere atheist, agnostic. They're, they're trying their best. And we look at that and, and maybe we're tempted at some level to say, surely God will understand. But Paul tells us as we look at the example of Israel, no, that's not how he works. Just because they're sincere doesn't mean they're not sincerely wrong. And in this case, they're running the wrong race. I was watching a documentary on uh, Orthodox Judaism and a particular sect of, uh, called the Hasidim. And, uh, and they are meticulous in trying to keep the law, even today. Beyond the Orthodox Jews, which Orthodox Jews are the ones who usually have the, 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 the black hats, the long beards the long robes. Well, this is a group that says we're even more radical than you guys. And, uh, and, and if you were of this group, ladies, you become the breadwinner um, because the husband doesn't have time to work. He has to study Torah every day. That's, that's how they work. Or they don't really work. The wife does. Does everything. Takes care of the kids. Uh, makes di Brings home the bacon, then cooks the bacon, but there's no bacon in that case. Uh, uh, <laughs> How, how was your day, honey? Oh, just laboring over the scriptures today. How was your day? I did it all. Did it all. And they raised their sons. And it was just one story. It was, it was heartbreaking. His mom is schooling. Her son's been at school all day studying Torah, which Torah is the law. It's the first five books of the Bible. Studying, memorizing. Memorizing the rabbi's teachings all day. Comes home, exhausted, dinner, all right, back to it. And then on the Sabbath, Saturday, you do nothing. No fun. I want to go play with my friends. No, it's the Sabbath. Why? They're zealous. We're running the race, my son. We're seeking to attain righteousness. And they are working tirelessly. And in the end, Unless they come to know Christ, they will be put to shame. The years of watching my kids play soccer, especially in the younger years, this came to my mind. One of the common frustrating sides for a dad who wants to win is to watch a child, there's always one, who gets the soccer ball 
and turns and goes to the wrong goal and scores and turns around as if they accomplished something. And I'm, and, and Sarah's like, don't say anything, don't say anything. They think they've accomplished something, but they were scoring on the wrong goal. The reason people are lost is because they're running in the wrong direction and they think they're achieving righteousness, that they're attaining salvation and whatever that equivalent of heaven is in their mind. But in reality, they're running a race that will disappoint. They're without God and without hope in the world. They will not win the prize because they sought their own righteousness. And when the righteousness of the gospel is offered, they say, no thanks. I've got my righteousness. I've got my works. I've got my ritual. And I will trust in that. And so you could say they have righteousness, but they lack a true righteousness. They have a man's righteousness, but it's just filthy rags. And this true righteousness that they need, the true prize they think they're running after, it only comes by faith in Christ. And so thirdly, the lost lack faith. And like I said, we're working our way backwards through this text so that we can kind of grasp the shock of what Paul says in the very beginning. What should we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, verse 30, they attained it. Now, just think about that for a moment. No one runs a race not to win. Unless you're in one of those races that you just walk and you say, I did it. I don't understand that. But usually people run the race to win. How upset would you be you ran the race and you found out the guy sitting with the hot dog in the stands is the one who won? You, oh, I ran. No, you didn't. That guy did. That's kind of the, the gist that's coming here in this text. The Gentiles who did not run that race have attained it. They won. And, and don't press the analogy too hard. There's many winners in this, in this race because they attained the goal, and we'll see who the goal is at the end. But Israel is shocked because they've run the race and, they, and, they, and they're not going to win. Now, this doesn't mean that all Gentiles are saved, but what Paul is explaining here is the true reality of salvation. God found them. I mean, when we, we can tell our story, and, there, and there's a human component here, but, but in reality, we know I was running away, and yet God found me. I love how Paul puts it to the Galatians, a group of pagans, Gentiles. He says, you have come to know God. And it's almost like he says, rather known by God. Galatians 4.9, just look at it. It's kind of interesting. It's both, you've come to know God, rather God's come to know you. And that's what we saw in Romans 9. I want you to see later in, in Romans 10, go, go to verse 20. This is what Isaiah said would happen. And it's interesting, he says, Isaiah is so bold. I mean, this is radical. This is surprising what God has done in the cross. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I have been found by those who did not seek me. 
huh, how's that work? You, people found you, but they didn't seek you. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. How, how is that possible? That's what Paul's saying has happened in our lives. Most of us, I think, fall into the category Gentile. That means non-Jew. You weren't raised up under Torah. You weren't under the law. You were pursuing whatever you thought you were pursuing, and yet God found you. He saved you. He revealed himself to you. And when that gospel offer came to you, whether it was through a mom and dad or whether it was a youth worker, or maybe you, someone gave you a Bible and you opened it up and you began to read, you heard it, not pursuing righteousness, and then you, and you heard that righteousness is offered to you and you believed. And then you were saved. It's rather simple, isn't it? You heard the sweet story. And you believed. As a sinner, that Christ died for you. And as we look back, and maybe we don't fully understand it, but we have to learn our story through the Scripture, because we don't know our hearts. We learn our story through the Scripture, and we see that, yeah, I, I did not pursue righteousness, even if I called it Christianity. No one seeks for God. No, not one. They've all gone astray, gone their own way. So we were running another race. But God found us and he saved us. The lost, however, why are they lost? They do not believe in Christ for their righteousness. Like Israel, they think it's based on works and so are running the wrong way. They're running for the wrong goal. Look at the end of our passages in, in verse 4 of chapter 10. They're running for a law-based righteousness. But they're running for the wrong goal. Look, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law, or some of your translations might write, Christ is the goal of the law. I think both ideas are here. For Christ is the end or the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What's the goal? If you're pursuing your righteousness, you might attain some sense that you've got righteousness, but it will not be true righteousness. The goal here is not a what, it's a who. The goal is Christ. He is the trophy at the end of the finish line. But here's the reality. I'm not able to run the race. And he ran it for me. He ran the race for me. And he is my prize. He is my treasure. He is the one I rest upon because I look at that race, I say I could not measure up. Even Israel, they thought they were running and they weren't getting very far. And so he's the end of the finish line. He's the end of the race. There's a play on words here. He's the goal. And here is why most of Israel failed to attain the prize of righteousness and salvation because they did not see the goal of the law. They did not understand that the law was to drive them to faith in God's promises. But they rejected God's promises and they, they thought they could do it by works of the law. And they rejected God's promise in Christ. 
That's what the parable that, that Joshua read about in the tenants. That's what that parable is telling. He's given it to some workers and they're not doing the work, so he sends the prophets. And what do they do every single time? They kill the prophets. We don't want to hear that we can't do it on our own. And so I'll send them my son. Maybe they'll respect him. No, 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 no. We'll kill him as well. That's their story. And what they did not realize is that the law could not be a means of attaining righteousness. We've seen this in Romans 7. It only reveals our sin, and it actually aggravates it. It's not that the law is bad. It's not that the law is unholy. No, sin has hijacked the law, and it's a chemical reaction when we come in contact with the holiness of God that we just want to sin all the more. And so we cannot run this race. And so what Israel did not realize is that the whole law, the whole testament, the sacrificial system, the ceremonies, the circumcision, all that was, was, was a, a shadow anticipating the promises of God that have come in Christ. But they were so fixated like on their phones, looking at the shadows that they came and they stumbled upon the rock and they smashed they did not see the rock of salvation that was before them. So Oak Park, Christ is the rock upon whom we've believed, is he not? And believing in him, we see in this text, we will not be put to shame. Our hope will not disappoint. Because we stand on this grace, which is Christ who has redeemed us from the curse of the law, who has redeemed us from our, our flesh and our sin, have become a curse for us on the cross. They did not remain crucified on that cross. He rose again on the third day in victory. And whoever places their faith in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So let me ask you, are you running or are you resting? Are you working or are you believing? Christ is the goal. And in him is righteousness for everyone who believes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we see your good gospel, the good news of Christ. And Lord, as Paul prayed, my desire for anyone here who is running and weary, who thinks that they are attaining their own righteousness, Lord, that they would be saved. Lord, that you would open up their eyes, that they would see, and they would not stumble upon the rock. They'd cling to the rock. They would stand upon the solid rock of salvation that you have laid, that foundation that will never waver, and that they would stand upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is building a church and a kingdom that will never fade and never perish. Lord, that's our prayer. And we pray these things with confidence, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand. I don't think there's a more fitting song maybe to conclude with. In Christ the solid rock, let's sing.